0: friends, welcome to the Creative Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Caldwell, and I'm so happy you're here. Each episode, I take some time to chat with fellow artists about life, faith, and the impact of the arts. This is such a fun treat because today I have my amazing husband, Ben Caldwell, with me on the podcast. Welcome, Ben. Thanks. Today is a very special day, not only because you're on the show, although that's what makes it extra special, but because we are celebrating episode
1: 100.
0: Wow, 100. Yes. And for those who have been listening along through these past 99 episodes, you've probably heard me mention that, you know, my husband Ben said he'll come on for episode 100 a few different times. So thank you for sticking to your word, even though. It feels like 100 got here a little bit faster than we both thought. (laughs) Do you feel like it got here faster than we were anticipating?
2: Yes, I I agree with that sentiment.
0: It definitely kind of snuck up on me. I feel like I was at 70 something and then all of a sudden it was like 92. Like, oh, got to start planning for this 100th episode. So yeah, today's going to be really fun. Hopefully some a little bit of just our story, but also excited to dive into your journey, Ben, and let you share with our listeners just more about kind of where God has brought you through the years and your experiences with dance and with art and how that will apply to to everyone that's listening. So do you want to just introduce yourself, even though I kind of already did, and share a little bit about what you are currently doing?
2: Well, as Rachel said, my name is Ben Caldwell, and um I currently work as an attorney for a law firm in downtown Houston, and I work kind of in an area of maritime law, and it really has a zero connection to dance Mm -hmm. or the
0: arts. Right. (laughs) But yet I still see you using some of your giftings in what you're doing now, and you still get to be pretty creative with me at home and you've been my secret weapon in a lot of dance choreography over the past several years. So I appreciate you still utilizing those dance muscles here and there as needed. So, but yeah, we're going to kind of go back a little bit to talk about your story and kind of how God's woven it together over the years. So maybe do we want to go back to kind of your early days of dance and how you first got into dance and theater and kind of that early journey with creativity, I guess.
2: Sure. So, I think. Well, first, I think I'd say that you know, I think the only reason that I am qualified to be on this podcast at all is because I'm married to the amazing Rachel Caldwell. I think other than that, I uh, really don't feel qualified to be here at all. But I disagree. But I did promise that I would come on episode 100. I think my original hope was I thought you know by the time we get to episode 100. I'll have thought of something profound and deep and meaningful to share. So, sort of that did happen because we are at episode 100. Unfortunately, uh, I have not come up with anything profound or deep to share, but yet (laughs) we are pressing forward. We are
0: pressing forward. And (sighs) yes, I feel like you may surprise yourself. So, we'll see how it goes.
2: (laughs) All right. But uh, so, I suppose, yes, I'm not dancing now, but. I did dance for a number of years. I think I started dancing. I was actually talking to Cheryl Cutliff about this. I think it must have been somewhere around 1999 or maybe the year 2000 that I first took a dance class. And I think then going to the very other end, the last time I performed in a show and the last time I was regularly involved with dance as a teacher was in 2015. Yes. So I suppose roughly from 2000 to 2015.
0: Nice. So about 15 years doing the math there. Yeah. Nice, 15, 16 years, somewhere in there. And I know your story or a lot of it, but it'll be fun to share with everyone that's listening. So you really started out in the arts with theater, right?
2: Yeah. In high school, I really enjoyed theater and drama. and I was involved as I could be in doing those types of things. and it was probably, I was in late high school when I first took a dance class. And that was probably the year I was referring to either in maybe 99 or 2000. And, you know, I just started taking one at like a, a week long intensive. And then I just kind of built on it from there. I thought, wow, this was a lot of fun. And so then, you know, two class first, it was one class. And then, you know, they said, well, if you're going to take one, you should really take two. Mm-hmm. I go, okay. And, you know, before I knew it, I was there like three to four nights a week. And then I graduated high school when I was didn't want to give up dancing at the studio. So then I was going to college during the day and I'd drive straight from college to the dance studio nice. and do that, you know, pretty much every day of the week. Oh, cool. But that was probably how I got started back in the earlier days. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then so in college, you were a theater major and kind of pursuing that degree, then also, like you said, doing dance in the evenings and everything and still kind of keeping up with training. And then do you want to just give us kind of an overview of post-college, what you led into after that?
2: Yeah. So I suppose the quickest version, or perhaps the, the best way to sum it up was that I still wanted to pursue dance and theater. I still really enjoyed that. So, you know, I mean, about the best way you can do that is usually becoming a teacher in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and a lot of the jobs that were available, at least for me at that time, were just kind of part-time work. So I took, I think I got a part-time job teaching a theater class Mm -hmm. for a little bit. And then I know someone had to go on maternity leave, another ballet teacher. And so then I became a sub, like a long-term sub. So then I was teaching dance classes and I mean, that just kind of went on that pattern for a number of years of me teaching sometimes drama, sometimes dance, sometimes just dance, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
2: and then also there's usually some other kind of part-time job as well.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that's the story of probably a lot of artists out there doing some, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's being a barista or like, you know, working, doing personal training like you did or working at a store or something like that, getting those those extra hours in just so you can make ends meet and that kind of thing. So makes sense. And I've kind of skipped over this, but I think your, your senior sort of project that you did in college was really cool as well. At least what I got to hear about it called Project Freedom. And do you want to share just a little bit about that? Because I feel like it was a cool combination of what you were doing in school and outside of school that you brought together.
2: Yeah. So I was really... I was really inspired by Project Dance, which I know has been talked about on this podcast before. Yeah. And it was where you and I met uh, for the first time face-to-face, was at a Project Dance event.
0: Yes, it's a big part of our story for sure.
2: But I suppose just to recap for anyone that's like, wait, what's that? So if you've not heard of Project Dance, the shortest version is that Project Dance does usually public outdoor dance concerts, At venues around the world, usually big cities, like they've done in New York, they've done it in Sydney, in Los Angeles, Houston. Oh my goodness, I I can't name them all, but there's, there's, they've been all over the world. And usually, the concerts uh, will last for a number of hours. I mean, the shortest one has probably been at least four hours, I would think, if I had to guess. Mm -hmm. You know, and the longer ones probably six or seven hours. Yeah, but I really just. I was just so impacted by that, getting to be a part of several of those. And I really wanted to bring that to my school where I was attending public university. And so I sort of took that on as a senior project to do a small version,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: not a six hour dance concert. But I think in the end, we were able to pull off. I want to say it was maybe an hour and a half oh, nice. worth yeah. of content. That's cool. Uh, and we did it kind of around the noon hour, hoping to catch students on their lunch break. And we tried to get as close as I could to the center of campus. And, and essentially it was, it was kind of like a project dance. We set up a, an outdoor stage. We set up, you know, an outdoor sound system, you know, followed all the university rules and, you know, it went off just about the same. You, you have the dance, the dance numbers were performed and, You know, there's kind of other people just kind of milling around and having conversations with passersby. And I think we got bottles of water donated. You know, we were just giving out free bottles of water to people. Oh, yeah. That's
0: really
2: neat. I felt like it was a big success.
0: Mm -hmm. That was
2: 2005.
0: Okay. So that's really not that long after Project Dance first got started, which I'm kind of going all over the place just because there's so many fun stories. But you, I believe, were at the actual, like the very first Project Dance. Yes. In 2002, right?
2: Yes. So... I don't know how much of a a rabbit trail I should go on, but yes, I was actually pretty fortunate that I got to go because uh, at the time I was dancing with a dance company called Gift of Dance and Jeff Lewis was leading that company and he was friends with Cheryl Cutlap. He knew her. And so I think when Cheryl was kind of getting the word out, she got word to Jeff and, you know, Jeff responded to the call, so to speak, like, like many others. Mm-hmm. And so he took the dance team up there. And so I was pretty new at that point. I had only been dancing a few years. Nice. So my technical dance abilities were still very early on, but it was cool. Cause I, I got to be part of it. And and I got to watch a lot of the other performers and it was it was amazing.
0: Yeah, for sure. I will definitely link to Cheryl's episode because I think she goes, when we talked, she went into more detail on kind of the beginnings of Project Dance and how that all got started. So if anyone's interested, you can check out the show notes. I'll put a link there. But yeah, just really cool seeing kind of that connection then through your senior project and then post-college, like you said, like teaching, still kind of just being involved in the dance world and being able to teach drama and things like that. And then, yeah, what was kind of the next big step in your journey?
2: You know, I, I danced with a number of companies over the years. The first company I danced with was Gift of Dance that I just mentioned. And then there was at least one or two versions of a, a hip hop company that I danced with in Houston, it sort of changed names at one point. And then I danced with Ballet Excelsior in Houston for several years. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Oklahoma and I danced with Arrows International for, I want to say it was about six years. Yeah. And even in the midst of sort of that whole period that I just mentioned, I did some projects. Uh, and I was a guest artist a few different places. I was a guest artist with a dance company called Chaka Dance Company. I was a, a guest artist one time with the Katie Hagelin dance company. Um, oh, yeah. She was a, another Bellhaven grad. Uh, she Bell was based Haven. up in Seattle, I believe. Nice. I think there, there might've been at least one or so others.
0: Oh, and in Lubbock as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: That's very right. cool. Christ in the Arts.
0: Oh yeah. So you're also, yeah. Christ in the Arts up in Lubbock. And yeah, a lot of different opportunities to just kind of go and guest perform in different places. and
2: Oh, and also the Feast. I also danced at the Feast of the Tabernacles in Israel. For seven years.
0: That's right. Yeah. From
2: 2007 through 2013.
0: Well, super epic. Yeah. That'd be fun to hear more about as well. So just thinking back on all those years, dancing, performing, traveling, and I know with Arrows, especially you guys did a lot of international travel and getting to minister through dance in a lot of different countries. Are there any stories that stand out to you, whether like fun, funny stories or impactful moments, things that... As you look back, kind of stand out in your memory.
2: So, just kind of stepping back because now, I mean, I've I've sort of been out of dancing full time for like something like eight years.
0: That's hard to believe. Now,
2: so some time has now gone by, you know, and and it's interesting to look back to a degree and to think which memories really stick with you. You know, I mean, uh, I don't know who all will be listening. But um, if there's any, you know, dancers that are in the midst of, you know, you've started dancing or you're pressing hard into it just working to become better and better, or even other artists who are are just, you know, following the dream, you know, just pressing hard after it. Mm -hmm. I feel like even myself as a a dancer, when I first started, you know, like you have goals and dreams like, oh, man, I hope I get to to reach this level of technical skill. Or or there's probably some people that do. Oh, man, I want to travel and perform all over the world. Right. And I probably did think that, at least to some degree. You know, I thought that was exciting. And I think, so just recapping, like, I think I didn't actually write them out. I wrote them out at some point a number of years ago, and I'm just going off of memory. So my disclaimer is that this might be inaccurate, but I think I did something along the lines of, I think I've been to something like 14 different countries and I think I've been on something like twenty three short term mission trips, wow, yeah, most of them are dance related some of them were were not dance related mission trips they were just mission trips where you go and just evangelize essentially
0: right right
2: but if i if I look at all that twenty three different trips, fourteen different countries span of fifteen years, like what what stands out and you know there's Oh gosh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to choose because mm-hmm. I mean, you get, you get really a blend. You get some memories that make you laugh and make you smile. And then, you know, there are some that are, that are more serious, you know, more, uh, more heartwarming or even heartbreaking mm-hmm.
1: sometimes yeah.
2: with that many experiences.
1: For
2: sure. One of the ones that, that kind of stands out. So this was during one of the mission trips with arrows international that we mentioned a, a minute ago. We were, gosh, I hope I'm getting the locations right. We did a number of trips and they kind of blend together right. to a degree. It
0: so it's kind of mixing so in your I'm brain here. Like, yeah. Oh,
2: gosh, I might have the country wrong, but I feel pretty certain we were coming back from Central America. We were flying back home and man, everybody was excited because like a bunch of the people in our group got bumped up to first class.
1: <laughs> like, you know,
2: missionaries, we don't, <laughs> you don't normally fly first class. Right. That's just not. That's just not. I it wouldn't look good on the fundraising letter.
0: Right. You
2: know, it's <laughs>
0: I need it's an just extra a couple thing. hundred dollars so I could fly right. first class thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't happen. So we all got bumped up
0: mm-hmm. to first class,
2: or a bunch of us did. And so that was it was fantastic, you know, like living it up.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, but it was a it was a two-leg flight. So first leg, we got bumped up to first class and our layover was in Houston. And, uh, although that's, that's where we live now, that wasn't where I was living at the time, right. the time we were, we had to get back to Oklahoma. So we have our layover in Houston. It was supposed to be, I don't know, something like three hours, you know, Yeah. and not long after we got back in Houston. Oh, I think everybody was in high spirits. We went to like have a nice sit down meal, mm-hmm. you know, not like the, the rush through stand in line, grab a sandwich in a plastic bin and then run to your gate. Yeah. Not that we've done that. Yeah. But we'd go sit down in a restaurant, order off of the menu, you know, feel very civilized <laughs> for a little while. So we did all that, you know, and then somewhere after the meal, we're like realizing that our second flight, it was like not just like delayed, but canceled. Oh, no. Like it, it was gone. Ah. Our flight was no longer there. So that created an issue. So some of our people on our team they had to leave Oklahoma on a connecting flight to go back to their wherever their home was. Mm-hmm. So the problem was if we didn't get a flight now, they were going to miss their second flight. Several people were, and so you know then became the plan. Well, well what do we do? What options do we have? And I think we did all the usual stuff. You know, they they went and talked to the people at the customer service desk and
1: mm-hmm. tried
2: to see what the options were. And what happened at the end was I think Jeff finally found that he was able to rent a van in order to take back the dancers that had connecting flights. Gotcha. So like, okay, so he'll rent a van and drive home. And that's a, that's a solid seven, eight-hour drive if things go well. Yeah. There was another problem, right? Do you think it's already challenging enough? The van, they couldn't get a one-way rental. It had to be a round-trip
1: oh, no. van rental. Wow,
2: And our next, the next flight for most of us was going to be the next day. So Jeff, he like within a matter of, I don't know, it was pretty quick, an hour or so. He rents the van. He loads up the people that had connecting flights and he starts driving and he drives the whole eight, you know, hours all the way back to Oklahoma city. He drops them all off. He probably took a, like a 45 minute nap. I can't remember exactly. It wasn't much. It yes. was not like very much rest at all. And he turned around and drove all the way back to Houston,
1: Wow. you know,
2: and the rest of us, the rest of us got some sleep. I think we ended up actually going to my parents' house. I think I called my parents like in the middle of the night and said, uh, mm-hmm. can I bring a bunch of dancers to your house? I have nowhere to go. Right. And so My parents came and picked up a group of us. We slept at my parents' house. Then they brought us back again for our flight the next day. And then Jeff arrives, you know, and and he's done like 16 hours of driving. He's only gotten a little bit of sleep. And we're all back at the gate again. So, like, here we are. We're back where we started with a few less people. Yeah. All waiting at the gate at this airport. And, man, they were having problems. Like, they were having more problems. and. Jeff was so tired and we were all kind of tired, but we were just loopy. Yeah. (laughs) Like we were just laughing and laughing and laughing, sitting at this airport gate. Like, and we were just laughing because they kept having problems Mm -hmm. and just laughing at the announcements. And we were getting (laughs) so loud that people nearby us like would look offended and get up and leave. Like, you know how there's like not much seating, like people would go and sit far away from us because we just kept (laughs) laughing and laughing.
0: I understand that feeling though, where you're just past that tired point where you're just totally loopy. Yep.
2: <laughs> that memory stands out. You know, it's like, it's not even a ministry memory, but it's just one of the things that happens, you know?
0: Yep, exactly. Doing New these life. trips. Mm-hmm. Were there any other funny moments that stand out?
2: So when I was performing with Shaka, Dance company in Japan, I actually have several memories from some of those trips. I I want to say I performed with them in japan twice yeah and there was a few different a few different memories so like i remember let me put it this way so dancers a lot of times you know they're they're very passionate they're they're like hardcore you know the dancers would be like especially on a mission trip you know they have great attitudes usually like it's yes we're here to minister we're going to perform mm-hmm. you know and it's like well what if we don't have a lot of people come and watch well that's okay you know, what do the dancers sometimes say? Oh, we'd perform if there's one person.
0: Right.
2: Well, we had a show with one person. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah.
2: We were in Tokyo, which is massive. And we were performing in a coffee shop, which is a, it was a small venue. It was like an underground, like you had to go from street level downstairs mm-hmm. to get to this little coffee shop. And we had tried to advertise and tried to get people to come. And yeah one person oh, no! and i still remember that performance because it was a small space and there was there was no like wings or exits or anything mm. like it was tight like the place where we were using as our little sort of changing area was this it had a, like the the little coffee shop had a tiny loft and it had this narrow staircase and it was like steep steps.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like this staircase wouldn't have passed any ADA evaluation. Like right. it was, it was terrible. And that was where we would go. So as soon as you finish your number, you go to the little narrow staircase with the steep steps and you kind of shuffle your way up there, mm-hmm. high step in it. Mm-hmm. And then you and the, the loft was so low, you couldn't even stand up straight. So you had to crouch over, oh, yeah. and, like change into your next costume.
0: That does sound memorable.
2: But the thing that I remember the most was there was one scene where it was a it was a pot to do. It was a partnering number. And I did like a basket carry. So I'm holding my partner, you know, in my arms, one arm around her back, one under her knees, essentially mm-hmm. holding her in the basket carry. And I walk off stage. Well, the problem was the off stage in this case is up that staircase and it was really narrow. <laughs> I so know. I just remember like <laughs> carrying her up to this staircase. Like, here we go.
0: <laughs> like trying to,
2: trying to carry her up that narrow staircase. It was, it was rough.
0: I'm just envisioning it. That's, that's pretty great.
2: You know, and it was one of those things that I don't even remember if I fully thought it through until you're like in the moment, you're like going to the dance, you're doing all the emotions and you're like, Oh, staircase. Oh
0: <laughs> yeah. Just, Cross that bridge when you get there kind of thing.
2: And I remember another story. It was also in Japan. It might have been that same year. Nice. And we were performing in a, it was a wedding chapel,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: a wedding chapel on the top of a mountain. And it was, it was, again, it was a small space and there was no wings, no exits. So if you want to get on or off stage, you've got to go down the center aisle. And it looked just like you would imagine a wedding chapel to look. So you like all the wooden pews on the side. And so that was your entrance and exit Okay, straight up the middle, straight out, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's it. You can't get on or off any other way. So I think we were low tech at the time. We probably even had somebody back there with a CD player, you know, you put the CD in the thing and they skip to the right track, Uh you know, as all the dancers get set. And I remember the wedding venue, it, it wasn't large. But like I said, there was, there was no space for changing room. So what they had done was they had put up tents in the yard, the front yard, like, you know, mm-hmm. of the church essentially. And so we would run out there, you run down the aisle, you run down the steps and you run to the tent, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had, I think i had my own little tent. I think I was the only guy in the show, nice. uh, you know, and I run out to the tent and do my little change and then run back. You know, the thing that struck me was it's just the odd stuff. You know, because we would do these emotionally intense pieces trying to show either the crucifixion or God's love for the church. It was weighty, emotional stuff. It required a lot of acting. You know, you're really trying to get into the character in the moment and tell the story. And so you in the music, it was dramatic, instrumental music. And so you're kind of feeling that and you're in character. And then you run off stage and this wedding chapel, they had piped in music. And it was off in the chapel so that we could do ours, yeah. but it was still being played out in the yard. Okay. So when I'm in that little tent, hunched over, changing, you can hear this uh, piped in music. And it was I just remember it was some sort of really like kind of gravelly jazz version of the bare necessities, like from the Jungle Book. <laughs> So I'm like in there, like almost on the verge of tears acting through this. And then I run out to change and it's like the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. <laughs>
0: yeah, And it was
2: very jarring. It's yeah. like, wow, this is very strange.
0: It's quite the contrast.
2: When those moments in your life happen, you're like, how did I end up here? Right. <laughs> like, this is really strange.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. Yes. And this was not international, but I do remember some sort of story with when you were performing the Christmas carol or a Christmas carol with Ballet Excelsior, some creative choices that you made?
2: That was pretty early on. I had really just started dancing. And I kind of feel like part of the reason I was recruited, I think, into Ballet Excelsior was partly for that show.
1: Mm, Okay. Or maybe
2: it was more than that. But anyway, it happened around that same time. And I think that and as part of the conversation is, hey, you should come, you should come visit our studio. I think they also talked about that show.
1: Yeah. We
2: have the show coming up. And I think it was the it was the Christmas Carol story and it was in ballet form. And I didn't have a named character at any point in the show. I think I was just kind of supportive roles here and there. And mm-hmm. but most of my stuff was all in the first act, you know, and it's a it's a pretty sizable story if you're familiar with it from a TV version or the uh, ballet version. Right. And so during most of the second act, I was just like back in the dressing room, <laughs> you know, and, and that's fine. But the, the issue was that there was a bunch of stuff in there. Like somebody had left like this full on theater makeup kit in there and because i remember i had i had been going to theater school i think i was in college at this time yeah for theater and so the very stuff that was in there was the stuff that i was learning how to use in college
1: like they right as
2: part of the theater education it was how to do stuff like glue on facial hair Uh right how to do all the theater makeup so i had learned all that and like there were these awesome like glue on beards in there and i thought well, the only reason I had to go on stage was for the bow. Like, that was it. No more dancing. It was just hang around, go out on stage, and bow at the end. So I thought, well, let me just, uh, you know, I just kind of dug in that makeup kit. And so I, I started just gluing on different facial hair, whatever I could find. <laughs> and I tried to change it every show. I was just hoping that there would be one person out in the audience paying just enough attention to be like, wait a minute. whoo." Who was that guy? I don't remember seeing him in the show. (laughs) Just a random character bowing. (laughs) The best one, I think I had something along the lines of like, it looked kind of like a full on Amish beard Mm -hmm. and like a big top hat that, you know, something. (laughs) So that was a lot of fun.
0: Yes. I I can definitely picture it. That's amazing. It's like a lot of these moments. In some ways, I wish I could be like a fly on the wall, like go back and see them happening in real time because they do sound pretty awesome pretty hilarious
2: i once kicked a cameraman in jerusalem while swinging from a trapeze
0: whoa okay tell us more tell us more
2: so the trapeze section of this performance was it was me and another guy who was about my same build Mm -hmm. same height same weight that way we'd balance each other and so we each had an elbow hooked on a trapeze and the trapeze had a swivel on top so that it would spin and so he and i would would get up a little momentum and then run essentially but i mean a trapeze is not wide so we're just spinning around really fast Mm -hmm. and you know at the feast it's usually televised there's usually camera people around yeah and there's usually more than one i think they usually have a big boom arm that moves around here and there but they also have some people with floor cameras you know Mm -hmm. you know it's the guy standing there with either the camera he's holding or maybe one on his shoulder and um you know i was spinning around, so. I just remember at one point I thought I felt something hit my foot. It's like, wait, did I, did I just hit something? But it was only just for a moment, you know, and we were, we had a lot of momentum, me and the other guy that were on the trapeze, we were moving fast, but it was later on later that night when somebody had pulled up the video, you know, and all the performers are gathered around to try and watch the recording mm-hmm. of what happened, you can see there's like a camera guy and he's getting closer <laughs> to where we were and he's getting closer. He keeps leaning in oh, like, yeah. and we're spinning around. I'm like, but then at one point you just see him like jerk backwards, you know, and he like staggers and he, oh, no. he didn't fall That's thankfully, good. but I'm I'm pretty sure I, I kicked him. I think Oops. I kicked the camera.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of crazy. Some of the moments that stand out and stick with us over the years. And I think especially when you're doing something like you did, where you're doing so much travel and kind of finding yourself in these interesting scenarios, like you said, you're kind of like, whoa, how did I end up here? This is kind of crazy, but also just fun to be able to laugh and, you know, think back at the memories. Maybe we can kind of shift into experiences that you had during that season doing dance ministry that you either like saw God move in a powerful way or felt God provide in a special way, those kind of things. Are there any stories of that, that nature that stand out to you?
2: I wish I could remember them better because I feel like there's a lot more stories from the groups that I was with
0: mm-hmm.
2: than even I can recall. You know, I know that there were stories from mission trips where people, people that had maybe come to a service that we were dancing at, that they would say they got or I think there were some people that said they got healed. Yeah. I just can't remember the details of it. I feel like, because I don't think it was me. Like, I don't think I was the person that was praying for someone when it happened, but I think it was someone on our team.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: remember another story. We were we did a performance at a park and one of the testimonies, usually what we would do is this with arrows specifically, but other groups that I ministered with would do things that were sort of similar was you would do the performance. And then after it was over, if there were people still out there, you would go and talk with them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know if they were... If they were willing, you know, you could have a conversation about faith and and just kind of we could share our testimonies. But I remember there was one person that someone in our group talked to, and he said, You know, I came to the park today, and actually today I left the house because I was leaving my wife. Mm. And I thought I would just, I'll just go to the park. And then he came to the park and he saw the show and a Christ-centered message. And after the people from our group talked to him and he went back,
1: Wow! you know,
2: it, it changed, it changed what he was going to do wow. seeing the show. And I think his encounter with the Holy spirit,
0: mm-hmm. that's super powerful in faith building too.
2: I remember there was another performance that we did in a number of years ago in Asia. And we did a performance for another group of dancers. And after the performance was over, there was the, the leader of the other dance team. His response he says, When I watched your performance, and then he kind of held his hands together and then he opened them up and he said, My heart opened. Whoa. That was how he described his response. And I think he was speaking through a translator. Yeah. But that was cool to hear that.
0: That's super cool. Yeah. So I know a big part of your story. Is actually really transitioning out of professional dancing and being kind of in what we would consider like full time ministry with dance as well. And I know it's been it's been a hard journey. It's been I guess over seven years now. Basically, what, around the time that I met you was kind of the last couple of years of you know you dancing full time and starting to deal with some injuries and things like that and deciding to step out of full time dance, but would love to just let you share because I feel like that's a very real thing that happens, right? And there's been other people on the podcast that have had a similar experience or people that are listening that are probably one day will walk through what does this look like to transition into a new season. And it really is kind of like a grief process because it's sort of a loss of a really huge part of your life and what you've been doing I don't want to put all the words in your mouth. I want you to let you speak <laughs> But basically, yeah, I'd just love to kind of turn it over to you and just hear whatever you want to share about what did that transition look like for you? And maybe what are some things that you've processed now as you look back now that we've come, you know, a good number of years post transition, I suppose?
2: So, I mean, we kind of already laid some of the groundwork as far as the timeline, but, you know, it's really been about, like we said, about seven or eight years now that I've been out of sort of the dance community. And, you know, when I when I stopped dancing, it wasn't because I really wanted to. I kind of felt like I had to. And I also felt like felt like the Lord was calling me out of it. Mm. But I felt like the bottom line is that I didn't want to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I didn't I didn't want to go. Like I was being called to leave on a trip that I didn't want to take. So, you know, just as, you know, recently, you and I were both at Project Dance Houston mm-hmm. and I got to catch up with some people that I used to dance with years ago. And it was a number of different people that I would chat with. But usually I got the same question at some point in the conversation. And the question was, are you still dancing? Because they, they haven't caught up with me in a long time. And so they don't know. And my answer I felt like my answer kind of shifted. It was always the same, but I just never knew how to capture it. Like, how do I say this?
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, obviously the answer is no, I'm not dancing. And then say, oh, well, why? Well, what are you doing now? All the natural questions. And I said, well, now I'm an attorney. Oh, well, you know, do you like that? And and the answer is, the answer is yes, I enjoy what I'm doing. But it's also it's complicated.
0: Yeah,
2: because. This wasn't, it wasn't my first choice, mm-hmm. you know, my first choice, if we, if we rewind and wipe the dust off of it and let's pull out Ben's plan for Ben's life, mm-hmm. you know, all covered in dust now, but it was to, to stay and dance like my whole life to keep dancing, you know, maybe do more teaching as I had been involved with it for longer,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but you know that it didn't happen you know, what I thought I wanted and what I thought was going to happen, it really didn't happen. And it was very hard for me. You know, I think I felt a lot of grief over it because, and I think I felt a lot of losses at once, mm. you know, you lose by doing that. I kind of lost, I guess, what was my career
1: mm-hmm.
2: to say it? Cause that was, it was where I had all my years of training in years of experience. But I mean, there's also the Christian dance world is, is a kind of a small tight knit community,
0: mm-hmm.
2: generally speaking.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like a family.
2: It's growing. It's bigger than it used to be. Yeah. But most of the people know most of the other people.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I've been around in the community long enough that I felt like I knew a lot of people and a lot of people that knew who I was and they knew that I danced and you know, I think I took a measure of satisfaction in that, of being known.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think I felt to a degree respected because I had taught, you know, and I had performed at a lot of places.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And,
2: you know, I had become accustomed to that. And I don't think I even knew how accustomed I was to it. Mm-hmm. But it was, it had become just kind of a staple in my life. You know, I mean, I was, like I said, working a lot of part-time jobs and wasn't making a lot of money. I was in it for what I thought was the ministry element. And then also, I guess, just for the joy of doing artistry, doing something that you love.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: And so when it stopped, I think it was much harder for me than, than I thought. So, I mean, I think the grief that I was feeling was partially the loss of, you know, the, the career, the sort of the loss of the network of people where they know you and, you know, whatever reputation, respect, I felt like I had built up over the years Mm -hmm. of sort of faithfully working and sort all of that sort of went away. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So when I moved basically from from dancing into the legal field, it felt like a big loss because the community that I had been working with, I lost all of that. All the people that knew me and and valued all the things I had done, all of them were sort of gone then because the people in the new area where I was at, they didn't know what I had done. Right. And the new field I was in, it didn't place the same value on what I had done. Mm -hmm. So when people would ask me, well, what have you been doing before you came to law school? And I would tell them, you know, well, I was, I was a dancer and a dance teacher I was met with raised eyebrows at times, confusion. And in some of the worst cases, um, some people would just laugh at
1: me. Mm, yeah.
2: They didn't take it seriously. I just felt like all the years of work that I had put in were just kind of washed away. Everything I worked for felt gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really hard. Yeah. The analogy that I kept thinking of would be imagining like, if your career was say a, a boat and you're building your boat and then you started off on a trip like kind of sailing across the ocean and you know you get halfway across and your boat falls apart just falls to pieces mm-hmm. and you cling to the little wreckage and you float all the way back all the miles back that you've already crossed now you're going the other direction all the way back to land and then you pick up the pieces and you start All over. Mm. That was how it felt. Because I ended up. I mean, I went back to the same school I had been at like twelve years previous. Yeah, that's true. Starting all over.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Because I know that's it's a hard spot to be in when when there's so much shifting at the same time and so many different losses, like you said. And I think something that is kind of interesting in church culture, or kind of the Christian culture is there's sort of this sense of like, that if someone is a pastor or in full-time ministry of some kind, that it sort of feels like that is of higher value than just, even I'm saying just, but <laughs> then being in kind of a marketplace career, I guess you could say, like, you know, an attorney or an accountant or even just a teacher or I keep using the word jest, but you know what I'm saying? Like just having a, what we would consider a quote unquote regular job versus like a full on ministry kind of lifestyle. I think it's easy. We kind of can put that full-time ministry on like a higher level for some reason. And I guess it it makes sense in a way because we're, we're saying, oh, these people are like giving their lives to, to serve God and you know, sacrificing a lot of things, like you said, probably not making as much money or maybe not as many quote unquote securities that we would want in our typical American culture and that kind of thing. But, you know, I just think about how really like God's using all of it, you know, that we need people in every single area of society and different places and different jobs I don't know if we want to go down that rabbit trail at all, but if you wanted to share anything on, on the thought of kind of this sort of celebrity that kind of happens with people that are in full-time ministry versus, you know, what does it look like to just kind of live for God wherever he has you?
2: That's something that I would say I've felt. I don't know how many people feel that way, but I felt like I was now, I was going from being something that was greater than to becoming something that was less than. So I definitely carried that perception and i think that just made it more difficult of a transition moving from one thing to the other and thinking about the podcast today something struck me this morning i was reading in the the u version bible app and there's a there's a quote in here i don't know who wrote this there's there's no pastor's name or anything affiliated with it mm-hmm. but it said what we place our hope in influences our ability to endure difficult times If we cling to something that is taken from us, our lives will crumble. Mm. And I really resonated with that. Just the idea that what are you clinging to? And if it's something other than God and it ends up getting taken away, you'll feel like your life is ending. And I think that was really how I felt. You know, I think I was really clinging to dance. And I was also clinging to the sort of level of respect that I at least felt like I had garnered mm-hmm. over the years and to the achievements I thought I had made, so that when all those were taken away and all those were made meaningless in my own life, in my own circle, they had effectively become meaningless and valueless. You know, I felt like my life had crumbled mm-hmm. to a degree and it's something that it's really taken years i think for me to have more peace with it
1: yeah
2: and grief is is such an it's such a long road and it's such a curving road it, it doesn't feel like direct there's no way to really rush through it you just kind of stumble mm-hmm. along and you just keep moving forward and i don't know somewhere along the line I think there's a shift. There was for me. I I think there probably is for other people in their own grief journeys. Mm -hmm. But there's kind of a shift of, I don't know, it feels like a fork in the road. Like, I've been going all this way. I could, on one hand, I could choose to keep thinking about this, to keep missing uh, what I used to do, to keep missing how I, I used to do ministry or all the feelings that I used to have. All those you know, the good times, missing those and mourning them. Or I could choose to look for what good is happening now or what good there might be in store for me in the future. Mm. And I think at some point, that's kind of how it felt in my heart. Like almost like God saying to me, like, well, if you want, you can sit, you can sort of sit with this sadness and you can look backwards at these hurts and focus on them,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or you can come be with me, you know, and I can show you what good things I have in store, or God could say like "I've got a good plan, would you like to see it? Mm. Well, then come on, go ahead and leave that other thing right there and come with me, wow, and I think at some point, that was a choice I felt like I still I think it's an ongoing choice. you sometimes have to remake that choice every day, yeah, but you're like. What was more important? What was it that I loved about dancing? You know, I think it was connecting with God through dance. Yeah. I think that was the highest element of it. And my ability to connect with God hasn't changed. God's still right there. He still wants to connect with me every day.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Now, just because I can't dance in the way I did doesn't mean I can't connect with God.
1: Yeah.
2: And so, at some point, it's like, grief, we've spent a good amount of time together. I'm going to leave you here. I'm going to go hang out with Jesus because I want to be with him. Mm. And I want to hear about the good things he has for my life. I want to hear about the good things, the good works that he's doing right now. Yeah. And I don't know what that looks like. It certainly doesn't look the way that it did. But I think it just becomes that choice when you get to the point where you can see that there is good still happening mm-hmm. and that God still has a good plan for you. And when you value that more than the pain,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you're like, I want to be with Jesus more than I want to cling to this old sort of dead thing. Yeah. You know, cause that's kind of what it was, you know, it was kind of a dream,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and it, and it died. Yeah. It did. I think it was a dream. It died. It did die. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you can cling to that little corpse dream. But the thing about corpse dreams is kind of like corpses in real life. You can't cling to them forever. Mm -hmm. You have to let them go. They just, they just decompose. It's just the way life is. And it's kind of that way with dreams too. At some point, you've got to lay it to rest. I mean, I think it's still a bit of a journey. I still have days when it's harder, Mm -hmm. but I have more and more peace about it
1: yeah.
2: and I'm excited, you know, because because you can still have just as great of a relationship with God doing any profession. Mm -hmm. So in my case, it was, I felt it really strongly through dance, but my relationship with God doesn't have to be less because I'm not dancing. I could be doing some other job and could have an even stronger relationship with God.
0: Yeah, that he meets us there Mm -hmm. in is like, I'm here, I'm still with you, you know, even whether we're in the dance studio or we're in an office, you know, but he's still there.
2: So I don't know. I hope that that's encouraging to someone.
0: Yeah. It's really been a journey for both of us. You know, it's kind of interesting because I sort of entered, you know, joined your story and came into the story, like I said, towards the end of that season of just like hardcore Mm
2: -hmm. dance
0: ministry, but I'm really grateful. I'm like, and I get teary, but I'm really grateful that we've been able to, to walk it together, you know, and i proud of you. And I'm grateful for, you know, the goodness of God and that he's continuing to, to, you know, stay with us and to guide us and take us to the next, next step, whatever that is. And thankful for the ability to just be able to be by each other's sides through this and grateful that, you know, you've been such a, support for me through, you know, all the years of directing and also starting this podcast and all of those different journeys that I think it's really, it's kind of a beautiful thing about marriage to be able to, to walk with each other through these changing seasons and to grow together, grow as people grow in our walk with God, and then also grow closer together through, through the hard things and through the beautiful and good things, you know, been hard, but it's been good.
2: Yeah, it has, you know, and it's kind of interesting timing that sort of my dancing ended almost right after we, we got married and in some ways it feels sad because, you know, our, our dancing didn't overlap for longer, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: but, you know, and and another way of looking at it, like that this journey of leaving dance has been so hard and the Lord has walked with me through it, but, you know, I, I really don't know how I would have made it through this sort of this journey without you, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's just been, it's, it's been very hard. It was very hard for me. And, you know, I felt like we just walked through it together. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't know how I would have made it without you.
0: Mm. Well, I'm so glad, glad we could be together and grateful. Like I said, just for God holding us through it all. I feel like we might need to do another episode. That's all about our story <laughs> and like our journey together. Cause we didn't really even get into that a whole lot, but yeah, but it's been a lot of fun, even in the midst of the ups and downs and, you know, grief for both of us in different ways. We do have a lot of fun together too. (laughs) So it's been good. Um, We were kind of joking, getting ready for this about if someone were to film our lives like a reality show and you kind of follow us around with a camera at home, like y'all don't even know, but our life is pretty full, even though, you know, Ben may not be officially dancing or you know doing those things we're like constantly singing re lyricing songs doing silly stuff being creative and i love that about that our life together and getting to just kind of have fun be silly be goofy and be creative together so i feel like i wanted to talk about that a lot but we'll just have to maybe save it mm-hmm. we'll be good <laughs> we'll see maybe just for a little tiny something fun do you have a few things That you, uh, now that we've been married for almost, it's going to be nine years this summer, which is pretty amazing. We met 10 years ago, about 10 years ago for the first time at a project dance that we were just kind of reminiscing about, but in these past 10 years, since we met, maybe are there a few things that you know about me that most people do not know about me?
2: Mm, (laughs) I think the answer is definitely yes.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: It's definitely a a lot of, a lot of insights (laughs) for sure. So, I mean, I'm trying to remember, cause some of this, I mean, I, I put into the, uh, uh, the bio in your book. Oh, so yeah. I, I actually wrote the bio on Rachel's book. So for those of you who haven't bought her book yet, go, go buy Rachel's book.
0: Woo. Shout out to Ben for writing the bio. His creativity is on point for that bio, but totally it's like the real Rachel. It's not the professional, like, you know, and Rachel graduated from Bellhaven university. No, yeah, none it, of that.
2: It's not the CV. It's like the. The sort of facts that you like, you know, I, I put her deepest, darkest fear in there. I'm pretty sure
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: greatest weakness, yep. I think, is in there.
0: <laughs> and I think a key line, which is probably very true that Ben came up with, is that I'm a chronically optimistic encourager. And that's a really pretty accurate description. <laughs>
2: yeah, it, it's definitely chronic. Uh, it's, it's definitely a long term.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: I, so uh, another person who's been a guest on this podcast brianna cash
0: shout out brianna
2: one time i think this was a church and uh rachel wasn't there that sunday but i was you know and and so i think i i briefly chatted with brianna you know kind of in the lobby like oh you know how's rachel doing well i said actually rachel is she's been you know it's been kind of a challenging week there were some things happening that week that were just hard and you no know, we we chatted briefly about it you know and and we both came to the same consensus like wow that would be something that's really emotionally difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. And then Brianna is like, you know, I think Rachel's going to be able to find something positive to look at from this situation. And I said, I said, yeah, like, if you see something devastating, devastatingly negative happen, you know, and Rachel's there and she's about to, I mean, you just go ahead and take a deep breath and hold it in and just wait before you need to take another breath. Rachel is going to say, but the upside is, or but the positive thing is right. the like, good thing about this, it'll is... be there. <laughs> Guaranteed. Just you you can. You can hold your breath and wait because that's how fast it'll yeah, happen.
0: sometimes to a fault, but trying to work on allowing all the emotions and you know, mourning with those who mourn, including myself. Um, uh, but also, yeah, I do like having the uh the upside close at hand and Remembering the goodness of God in the midst of hard stuff.
2: (laughs) If I really just want to see a Rachel have a panic look in her eye, I'll say, "All right, Rachel, I want you to complete this sentence." But the bad thing is,
0: (laughs) and then I'm like, I don't know, and then
2: her her eyes just like dart back and forth, like, uh, "Um, what do I do?
0: What do I say?" (laughs) That is so true, so funny, and I think you have made me probably so. Fun fact, I had like, you know, how as a kid, you kind of maybe, or a teenager, you kind of like make like a list of what you hope your future spouse will be like, I guess, maybe. And one of mine was, I hope that he would be musical. And I definitely 100% got a musical spouse. And I think you've actually helped me become more musical as well. Have a song always going in my head.
1: Sorry about that. (laughs) It's okay.
0: (laughs) Sometimes I'll be thinking of a song or like singing a song. And then I realize like, where did this come from? Pretty much 10 out of 10 times. It's because Ben was singing it earlier that day.
2: Usually. And sometimes I don't even remember that I was singing.
0: Exactly. But it's awesome. I love it. (laughs) So good. Well, that's just a little teaser for hopefully our future episode. If I can convince Ben to come back on the show to share a little bit about our journey and how our life looks on a day-to-day basis. Um, Super fun. So we really, I guess, should wrap up. But this has been so fun. Question that I like to ask everyone that comes on the show. And you get to be our 100th guest to answer this question or 100th episode. Is there something you'd like to share with other artists right now?
2: You would think that I would have a ready answer. I mean, I've only had 99 episodes to prepare. <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know that I have anything really additional to share. I'll just kind of recap.
1: Sounds good. What I
2: had said before, you know, is... It's it's really the, the story of what did you build your house on? Yeah. Did you build your house on the sand or is it built on the rock? You know, I thought, I really thought my house was built on the rock. You know, I mean, it was all ministry. You know, if you ask me, you know, in the past, you know, why do you dance? Well, you know, I, I dance to, to share the love of Jesus with people. Or, or that's the reason I teach dance or teach drama. Like I really thought, I thought it was built on the rock. But as soon as the dance element got washed away, I felt like my house crumbled. So I'm like, something, something was a bit amiss. Hmm. So I think my advice is that your relationship with God should be number one.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That should be where you really find your meaning. That should be your, your lifeline. That should be your air hose.
1: Yeah.
2: Like the old school deep sea divers that had the air hose that connected all the way up and down. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: It's kind of like that, like that needs to be your connection. That needs to be your lifeline. So if you feel like you've lost your oxygen, like your air hose has got a crimp in it and you're not getting air, you know, it might be because you're connected to something other than, than Jesus as your, your sort of foundation. Mm, Yeah. So, I mean, that's my, that's my thought. And, I have not achieved perfection by any stretch of the imagination. It's just kind of something you have to daily go back to.
1: Yeah. You go
2: back to like if the things that I sort of rely on, if they crumbled, am I still going to be okay? And I think the answer is we just we just got to go big picture. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: We've got to go on the eternal scale. And on the eternal scale, you know, the answer is yeah. The answer is I'm fine. Mm -hmm. You know, if the house that I'm living isn't here or if even if in the people that I love sharing life with, if they're not here,
1: mm-hmm.
2: are you still going to be okay? And it's a hard test. It's a hard test for God to walk someone through. So, you know, that's, that's my, my thought.
0: So good. Yeah. And kind of his grace in a way, not that it's fun, but to kind of reveal those places where we're clinging to something other or connected to something other than him in order that we can lean into him and find that connection because ultimately that's like where it's at. Yeah, that's where true fulfillment is at. So thank you. That's so, so good. Like this has been amazing. And I know it's been super vulnerable. So I really appreciate you just being willing to share your heart and all of this. And last fun question is, what is one of your favorite things right now?
2: So something that I love doing is sending those little GIF images back and forth to people. Like, you know, the the little short, they're short video clips that just loop. Yeah. And sometimes they have little words on them, you know, and I I just, I just love those. They make me so happy. They're
0: so fun. And you're like the best at picking them. I don't know how you find these because when I go to try to find one, I'm like, this is not near as funny as whatever Ben just sent me.
2: (laughs) I think usually I, I like kind of get an idea and then I look for some and then I find, I see one and I think, oh, this reminds me of my day today. You know, and it's like some Arctic fox and he's like running along and he jumps high in the air and then like face plants with his little tail sticking up out of the snow and his head is like totally buried. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how my day is going today. Uh You know, (laughs) Total face plant.
0: (laughs) Oh, so funny.
2: I like the ones that involve animals. Most most of the time it's animals.
0: Yeah, the animal ones are so funny.
2: Sometimes people, if they have got like a great expression. Yeah, it really captures the moment.
0: Yes. But some of the animals are definitely our favorites. We've been on a panda kick lately. Some new panda gifs.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I saw one, my sister, who's also been on the podcast oh, yeah. at
0: some point. I can link to the episode, Elena Borst and Elisa Pinones.
2: So Elena has three little boys. And so I found this, uh, this gif of like, I don't even know where this was, but there was like a whole little pile of pandas, <laughs> like real pandas. And they're going down a slide all together. Yes. like in a in a group like huddled together for support all these pandas are going down the slide and they get to the bottom of the slide and one of them just sort of pops off the end almost like a little bowling ball and just kind of rolls off <laughs> you know and uh and so i sent it to my sister elena and i said hey elena look this is this is like your boys at the playground <laughs> and she looks at it and she goes yep
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm pretty accurate and shout out to kayla Sokoloff who told us we're kind of like an old couple because we send gifts back and forth, but we yeah, love it.
2: Apparently apparently that's an old people thing. So <laughs> I guess that's a milestone that I've reached.
0: That's okay. We're having fun. We're laughing. That's like the main thing here. So <laughs> I love it. Well, this has been so fun and so deep and really, really good. We didn't really know exactly where we we're going with this conversation, but I'm really grateful that you were willing to to just let us in on some of that journey and to share with those that are listening. Cause I feel like it will be seriously such an encouragement just to feel like, you know, especially if they're walking through a similar season that they're not alone and just love the the truth and the encouragement that you gave us all today. So thank you for being the best 100th episode guest ever. And I really hope to get to have you on again soon.
2: Oh, thank you for having me on. It's an honor And congratulations on 100 episodes. You made it. Oh, yeah, oh,
1: yeah.
0: Thank you guys all so much again for joining us today. And a special thanks to Ben for coming on the podcast for our 100th episode. You can find all the links, the full show notes, and additional resources on our website, creativeimpactpodcast.com. I also wanted to let those of you who are a part of our Patreon community know that there is extra bonus content from my conversation today with Ben, where he shares a couple more really special stories. If you're interested in becoming a patron and getting bonus content and helping support the show, you can go to creativeimpactpodcast.com slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I'm so thankful for all our patrons who helped make this show possible. And I am so thankful for every single one of you who is listening to the podcast. This is really a special and somewhat surreal moment to be celebrating episode 100. It's been such a fun journey, and I'm so grateful that you've been a part of it. And we are just getting started. There are some really incredible guests that are going to be coming on in the next several months, and so I'm so excited to continue forward and to move towards 200 episodes. I'd love to hear from you and hear any stories you have about how this show has impacted your life. You can reach out on Facebook or Instagram at Creative Impact Podcast, or by emailing creativeimpactpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for celebrating with us today. The music for the show was produced by Michael Cash. Until next time, remember that you were designed to create. You were made to inspire. Continue living with purpose and making an impact. I'll see you next time, friends.